Well, good morning again. And what a joy it is for me to be here with you. It's, um, it's a lot different than looking at a camera. <laughs> it's a lot nicer to be able to see people's faces and smiles. It's funny, I was talking to Steve when we first started doing live stream, and the, the camera is like a dark hole. You just stare at it, and it doesn't smile. It doesn't do anything but reflect yourself back into it. So um, but what a joy it is. I, I'm excited that we're finally gathering together. I've missed the fellowship, <clears throat> missing your faces, and I know we have some visitors this morning. It's good to see you as well. You will turn on me in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to the book of James. Now, we've been in James for a little while, and, and James has been addressing these believers. Now, these are believers that are scattered throughout many different churches, that are scattered throughout uh, the Judean hillside, in the Samaria, and even in the parts of northern Turkey, what would be northern Turkey today, or southern Turkey, excuse me. And so you look at these, these believers, and there's many different churches, and James is familiar with them. Now, James is the, the pastor. He's the head of the church in Jerusalem, which is the, the mother church at this time. James is one of the earliest letters. And so James had a prominent position. And so he's writing to these believers, but he's, he's heard of things that are going on in the lives of these churches. And as you know, if you've been following along, James is very confrontational in his style. He doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. Um, what a joy it is for us because James, not only is he confrontational, but he addressed issues that are pertinent for us 2,000 years later, right? Because the issues that he's dealt with and he has been dealing with are issues that, as believers, we still struggle with today. And he's talked about the tongue, and the tongue is a fire. He's talked about partiality, a favoritism. You know, the racism and eth- uh, uh, preferring one ethnic group above another or a person who is rich above another. Those, those things that, that are still a struggle for even believers in today's churches. And But what we've been dealing with, even though the last few weeks, we've been dealing with the human heart. Because James, what he did in chapter 3 is he, he really dug into the tongue and the danger of, a, of an uncontrolled and wild tongue. He actually refers to it as, a, as a, a fire, a world of iniquity, a world of evil, an uncontrolled tongue. But what James did as he, he kind of zeroed in to the end of that section in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he talks about how what's natural in nature can only produce its kind, right? He said a freshwater fountain can only produce fresh water. A fig tree can't produce olives. And he, he basically takes a pause from his discussions about the tongue, and he really wants to delve into the human heart. And so he deals with the human heart in verses 13 of chapter 3 all the way until chapter 4, verse 10. It's a big section. And if you remember, we talked about last week how the human heart is made up of what your will, it's made up of your understanding and your mind, and it's made up of your emotions, your desires. And so James addresses these three aspects. He talks about wisdom and, and what you believe. And what you believe determines what you do and how you act. And then he talks about what is the source of conflict and quarrels. And it's the emotions, it's the desires that you've given over yourself to. Those fleshly desires. Rather than resisting the flesh, you've given over to those desires and it's causing conflict. Because you can't have what you want. And when you can't get what you want, 
You're in conflict with others. You lash out at others. And he even says that when you give over to those desires and those emotions, you've become worldly. And you've actually, he says, you become a friend to the world. And heaven forbid that as Christians, we would befriend a satanically driven world. And then last week, we talked about the remedy for this. And the remedy is, it it comes down to the will. It comes down to submitting yourselves humbly before the Lord. And as you submit to Him, you, you acknowledge His Lordship, His authority over your life, and you confess your sins, and you repent You have an attitude of of humility and submission that recognizes that you still struggle with sin, that you're no better than anybody else, and that you constantly need God's grace. And that's where James's verse or James's statement in verse 6 says that he gives a greater grace. He gives you a grace that is greater than your indwelling flesh, indwelling sin, and gives a grace that's greater than the temptations around us in this world and the temptations of Satan. What a joy that is. It's a remedy for the sinfulness of our own hearts and our own flesh. Well, James continues, and, and after dealing with the human heart and really drilling down on the human heart, he finishes out this chapter in chapter 4, dealing with human presumption. And he ties that, the verses we're going to deal with today, verses 11 and 12, he ties up a few loose ends, if you will, in regards to the human tongue. Because he deals with a presumptive tongue. And then next week we'll deal with a presumptive heart and a presumptive will. And so we're going to look at verses 11 through 12 today, and we're going to finish up James's discussion on the dangers of our speech. And so let's go ahead and look at the text, and then we'll, we'll delve into it. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So the most damaging force to the body of Christ does not happen externally, right? The most damaging force to the body of Christ comes from within, and it comes from slander, right? Churches have been ripped apart by slanderous accusations and gossip within the body of Christ. I know personally of churches that have split over dissension and discussions that have have come about through slanderous accusations and gossip, much of it untrue. Well, these churches, even in the New Testament, they struggled with that. You see that in 1 Corinthians where the Corinthians church slandered the Apostle Paul. They they questioned his apostleship, even though he was the one that, that brought them, he's their spiritual father, brought them the gospel. You see, in the Roman church, the Roman church, they were, they were slandering each other because they, they didn't all agree in the gray areas of the Christian life. Their preferences were different, and they were slandering each other. J.C. Ryle says that lies and false reports are among Satan's choices, weapons. In the New Testament, we find those churches, we, we see that Jesus actually condemned slander himself, and he says that the source of slander in Matthew 15, 19 is the human heart. The Old Testament is full of references as well. The sin of slander is replete, and in Leviticus 19, 16, 
God tells the Israelites, you shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. Even at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, Eden, you see slander. Satan questioned the integrity of God. He said, did not God actually say this? He questioned his words, questioned his integrity in that he said that, that God was keeping this from you, Eve, so that you would not be like him. So he's questioning, he's slandering the character of God. And that's what the devil, the word devil actually means, slanderer. God hates the slander. Well, James has been dealing with the human heart, and he comes down to this, their relationships with each other. He's dealt with their relationships with God and being right in the previous few verses. And now he deals with having a right relationship with each other and not slandering and judging each other. In other words, showing humility. Because if we have a right relationship with God and we're humble before God, then that naturally translates into a humility. We're dealing with others, right? If you know that you, you definitely need God's grace in your own life, then you're understanding that other people need God's grace. And we're not all in the same position on, in, the, in the path as we walk along the Lord, with the Lord of sanctification. And so I read, interesting the other day, I read about the Athenians, and after the Battle of Salamis, in which they won a great naval victory over the Persians, they each went to worship, and all the captains and the guards were there, and they, they all went to worship at this, this altar, and they all grabbed stones. And what they did, they were to write on these stones who were the, or what were the names of those that had done the best and had the, the best service in the naval battle. And every one of them put themselves first, and they put their commander, Themistocles, second even though it was his strategy and his ideas that won the great naval battle and prevented the invasion of the lower half of today's Greece. But that's the tendency in the church, right? We put ourselves first. And so selfishness and pride is the root cause of slander and depreciating others. And so James addresses this head on. And so today we're going to look at three points. We're going to, and, and James is very confrontational. James says, stop speaking evil, verse 11. He says to look at what you're doing, also in verse 11. And then he says, who do you think you are, in verse 12. So we see once more James' confrontational style. So let's look down in verse 11. James begins by saying, Do not speak against one another, brethren. Now, the word there for speaking against, it's a, it's a present imperative for Jordan over there. It's a command. James is saying, stop. Speaking against is, is slander. It's, it's gossip. It's defamation. It's, it's critical, malicious speech. Right? It brings someone else down in front of others. Right, there's, a, there's an evil in the intent. It's speaking poorly of others. I'll give you a couple examples. It's, it's questioning legitimate authority. Like the Israelites questioned Moses, even though God had selected Moses to lead them. It's slandering someone in secret. We call that gossip. Right? We're sharing things about someone else that, that bring them lower in another person's eyes. We exaggerate someone's faults. We belittle their strengths. Now, we're all growing. 
right? And it's easy to see someone else's faults, someone else's sins, but how often do we say, all right, well, what are their strengths? What are the areas that they're, they're, they're strong in and they're not weak in those areas? It's bringing incorrect accusations. And that's why the Bible has a process where if you bring an accusation, especially against leadership, there needs to be two or more people to do it. Because an individual can always have an issue with somebody, but do other people see that? Is it, is it really that big of an issue? Or is it just a disagreement between two people? Or it's maybe harsh and critical remarks. You see that a lot in, in marriages. Husbands and wives, they get comfortable with each other, uh, with each other excuse me, and they, they start criticizing each other. Right? It's, it's a, lack of, a lack of grace there. But you see that with believers as well. But ultimately, it comes down to a prideful heart. Because pride is, is really thinking that we're, we're better than each other. Pride is thinking that we know best for others. It's easy to look at somebody from a distance and say, you know what, if only they would do this, their life would be so much better. If only they would do that, then they'd be in much better financial shape. It's easy to look at those things from a distance. And that's what James is talking about. He's talking about a critical heart, a a critical spirit of speaking against someone. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how, and one of the commentators called it, we, we use creative sentimentality to get around the, uh, the idea of slander. We don't want to think that we're slandering someone. So we say things and we begin our sentences like this, that people will say, well, now stop me if I'm wrong. Or we say, or, or we need, this is the famous one in church settings, oh, we need to pray for this person because of. Or, you know, I don't mean to be critical, but... Or, I like him or her as a person, but, you see, we, we get creative because we don't want to say, well, we don't want to think I'm slandering somebody or, or gossiping, and so we get, we get creative with that. But ultimately, you need to know that God hates slander. He hates speaking evil of each other. Proverbs ten eighteen says that the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Exodus 20, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil in his speech. In his, excuse me, he plots evil in his speech is like a scorching fire. Colossians 3, 8, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Romans, Romans 1, 28, God speaks about haters of God are, are slanderers. In Romans 1.30, James 3.15 and 16, in the previous section, he talks about how the, the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart is you're being arrogant. And he says that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And that, that type of speech is, is demonic speech. Right? It comes down from Satan because Satan desires to drive a wedge between us as Christians. He desires division and discord. I remember in, in, back in high school, where it would have been about year 11 for you guys, I remember this girl, and she, she had this disagreement with another girl. I'm trying not to use names. They had, two girls had a disagreement, and the one girl started spreading malicious lies about the other girl. And she, she basically ruined this girl's reputation because she was angry at her. 
It was some jealousy issue over a, over a guy, but they, they, she ruined this other girl's reputation. It took this girl years to overcome the lies and the gossip that this particular individual had told about her. And it was a sad situation because I knew, I knew the girl who had been, who had been defamed. And I, and I remember talking to her at her locker and she's in tears and, and she's like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not like what everybody is calling me. I'm not that person, but, but, but everyone thinks that I'm that way. You see, that slander and that gossip, it's hurtful. It's destructive. And James is saying here that we have to have a different attitude. We have to stop speaking evil of one another. And honestly, we have in the States, we had all of these drunk driving advertisements for many years. And it was, and they'd show some car crash, and they would show people hurt, and they would say, "Friends don't let friends drive drunk," right? Well, I would take that slogan, and I would say, "Friends don't let friends slander," right? If you if you truly love someone, and they come to you, and they're they're slandering or they're gossiping, you need to ask them some questions. You need to ask them, say, "Hey, have you shared your concerns with that person directly?" That's the biblical pattern. Have you been to them and talked to them about what's bothering you? Because obviously something they've done or said is bothering you. Are you asking them? You could say, well, well, look, is it something that I really need to know? Right? Do I really need it? You can ask them, do you need help? Do you need help to be reconciled with this person? There's obviously something between you. I'd be glad to, to come along your side, brother, sister, and, and help you to be reconciled because that's what God calls us to do, to be reconciled for our, our brother and sister before we come and worship. You can ask them just very blatantly, are, are they protecting another's reputation? Right? Because that's a very important. You, you destroy someone's reputation, you're, you're, you're attacking them. So just some, some things that to think about because God hates slander, and James is, is confronting that. And just to be sure, you understand, he, speak, he says, do not speak against one another. He's, he's showing that, that one another, it's, it's not always one-sided, right? One thing to think about as Christians, and as people in general, is that we all sin against others, and we all are sinned against, right? We're all perpetrators of sin, and we're all victims of sin, right? We can't get around that. And that's where humility comes in, right? And so James basically says, look, stop criticizing. Stop slandering. Stop gossiping. And I started thinking about why, why we criticize. Why do people criticize? Well, you think about it, it makes you feel better about yourself, right? You aren't as bad, quote unquote, right? You aren't as bad as that person. And so you feel better. It, honestly, in our flesh, it's enjoyable. Why do you think people gossip? Because it appeals to the flesh, right? We, we take pleasure in hearing bad news. Why do you watch the news, right? If it was all good news, would anybody really watch it, right? Why do you slow down when you see a fire? Because it's unusual, right? It's, it's destructive. And in our natural flesh, we, we want to know what's going on. Also helps you to rationalize your own decisions, right? You, you spend a lot of money on a brand new Lamborghini and and you're thinking, well, you know, how can I rationalize that much money on a car? Well, well so-and-so, so-and-so spends a lot of their money, so you know, I'm not as bad as, as so-and-so that owns three beach houses, right? You rationalize your decisions, or, or it makes you look good. 
you're talking to others and you're bringing down another person. And in your, in your mind, if you're not saying it out loud, you're, you're basically saying, if only they had listened to me. They had listened to me and listened to, to my ideas, they wouldn't be in that bad of shape. And of course, what are you doing? As you're talking to others, you're bringing somebody down, but you're causing them to think, or you're, you're hoping that they think higher of you. And those are just some of the reasons that, that we criticize. But all of those things are disorder. You know, all of those slander, the gossip, the criticizing, all of that is disorder and it comes from Satan. And that's what we have to remember, the, the source because slandering shows a, a heart that is prideful, a heart shows a, a fearful heart. Is it, it shows a heart that's not thinking of others above themselves, as Philippians says. And God hates it. It's what unbelievers do. And the church is supposed to be different. We're supposed to be governed by the law of love above everything. And by the way, this includes social media. I think, I think we often think I can be anonymous on social media and I can slander others and tear down others and, and say things without having to worry about repercussions. But you will be accountable for every word you say and every word you write. So be, be aware of that when it comes to, to social media. Right? Just because you can do something, quote-unquote, anonymously, and how really anonymous are you, right? just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. It's still slander if it's digital. So James not only says, look, stop speaking evil in verse 11. He continues and he says, He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. So he basically says, look at what you're doing. He says, look at the significance. Because not only are you you speaking about somebody, but you're making judgments about them. Right? The word for judges is, is, is condemning. We're not talking about evaluations. We'll get into that in a moment. We're talking about condemnation. James says, look, you're, you're condemning someone in your heart. It's that critical spirit that, that judges everyone by your own standard. The real good word for this is judgmentalism. Right? We, we think we know the motives, and this is the danger. We think we know why people do what they do without asking them. Oh, I know this person meant this, right? And then we slander them and we gossip, right? It's, it's judging people's hearts. It's that judgmental attitude. And honestly, there, there's three areas I think that people are quick to judge or three examples I could give you over experience. One, I see people judge motives behind words and actions in church. Oh, I know why they're serving. They're serving just so they can look good. Or, you know what, I know why they don't serve. They don't serve because they're lazy. Right? They're, we, we look at others and we assume we know what's going on in their hearts. The other, other way that we often judge others is, is how they spend their money. Right? We look at others and say, wow, are they being a really good steward of their money? You know, they just bought that new car, a new caravan, a new truck. Right? Are they being a good steward? I don't know. Right? What right do we have to speak about that? If there's an issue, then you go to them and you talk about it. You, you also, this is the big one, is see sometimes people judge others on how they rear their children, right? Because 
One is, as a single, single person, it's like, oh, well, you know, that person's marriage would be so much better. I love it when, as I used to work with college students and, uh, and young adults, and, oh, that, that marriage, that person's marriage would be so much better. It's always coming from a, a single person who's not married, right? He has no idea. And then as a, then as a, a couple that doesn't have kids, you hear couples about kids, oh, I don't understand why they can't keep their kids in control, you know, in the grocery store, in the shops, right? Oh, man, when, I, when I'm a parent, I won't have that issue. But we all, we all know who have kids that, you know, the kids are kids, right? They're all, they're all in different stages of growth, but they're also different. I think that's a danger, too, as parents, is we compare kids, right? My kids are very different from other kids. Your kids are very different than my kids, and vice versa. It goes all around. We, we all have kids have reflect their parents' personalities, or you get that kid that doesn't act like either parent, right? And you're like, where did that kid come from, right? <laughs> But those are just areas where we're quick to judge, right? We look at motives and we assign, what, we assign labels to people. Oh, they're bad parents or bad couple or they're lazy or they're not mature. We're looking at what's in their hearts. And James says, look, when you speak against a brother or sister, you're, you're, you're judging them, right? You, you, and we'll get into this in a second, but literally you're, you're taking God off his throne and you're climbing up there yourself. You think you know what's best for them. Now, one thing I need to say, because this brings up an issue, and if everyone will turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, because I want to take a detour for a moment, because I think it's an important detour, because I want to address one of the verses that has been more misused by people than I think any, almost any other verse I can think of. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, because... What James is talking about here in James chapter 4 is judgmentalism, right? Hypocritical, wrong, evil, judging people's hearts, right? Okay, so when you get into Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, I'd like to read it with you. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. How many of you heard that, right? For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, so many people will use this. In fact, if you want to try to address a sin in somebody's life, and even in a, in a loving and kind way, right? And that's the difference, right? We're not condemning somebody. We're seeking to what? Restore somebody, to edify somebody, to help somebody. People will use this verse as a, as a catch-all, as an excuse for any and all types of sin. Oh, well, don't judge. Let you be judged. What James is talking about, or excuse me, what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about hypocritical judging. In fact, he mentions the word hypocrite three times in the previous section. So he's, he's emphasizing hypocritical judging or, or judging someone, evaluating someone without first looking at your own life, right? So the standard by which we evaluate our own life is what? The Word of God. It's the standard by which we compare our own life to and we, we want to live up to, right, through God's grace and strength. But when we look at others... What Christ is saying is that the standard, the way you judge, you will be held the same accountability 
or you'll be held accountable the same way. Right? You go to someone and you say, oh, you're, you know, you've, been, you've been gossiping. But you need to evaluate your own life first and say, have I been gossiping? Have I been slandering? And so he's not saying that we aren't to help each other, confront each other, to maintain the purity of the body. He's talking about a standard that is your own. I'm going, to, I'm going to judge somebody, I'm going to evaluate somebody, I'm going to condemn somebody based on my own ideas of righteousness, my own ideas of what's good and bad, and, and not pay attention to what God's Word says. So the, the context with this is key. In fact, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. So you're making an evaluation, right? It talks about the Word of God. You're determining who's a dog and who's a what? A swine, a pig. It's an evaluation. Later on in, in verse 15, beware of the false prophets, right? You're making a judgment, uh, an evaluation of what's right and what's wrong. But, but all of these things, these evaluations are based on God's word, okay? So we have to be careful that when people throw this out there and say, don't judge me, the idea is, well, as believers, we are to help each other, to help evaluate each other's lives in love. That's the key, in love. It's not a judgmental attitude. It's, it's brother, I, I've seen some things in your life that are not according to God's standard. Let me help you in this area, right? Humbly, looking at yourself first, and that's Jesus's point, looking to see, is there a, is there a log in my eye first before I go and talk with someone else, right? So it's not about moral relativism, where anything goes and truth is, truth is subjective. So the, the evaluation is we're making judgments, making evaluations on what's right. And so he condemns hypocritical judging. Romans 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on others you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So this judging or this word, this passage, has been terribly misused. And what we're talking about is righteous judgment, righteous evaluation versus, versus judgmentalism, which is what James condemns. And so the idea is, is church restoration. If you think about Matthew chapter 18, the famous passage, we'll turn there in just a second, you're dealing with church restoration, and there's a process in which we, we confront someone over sin in their life, something that's going on that's not acceptable according to God's standard, and we, we gently shepherd them, what, into return of fellowship with God and return of fellowship with us. You see, that's the thing we forget. When we sin, we not only break our fellowship with God, but we break our fellowship with each other. And so the whole point of Matthew 18 is a restoration in fellowship. Paul says in Galatians 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so when you think about Matthew 18, we, we evaluate somebody's life for the purpose of edification. And there's a process where, where you go with, with by yourself, and if they refuse, you, you take two or more within the congregation so that that two or more witnesses, their behavior is confirmed and their refusal to repent, and then you take it to the church. You, then you make it a church-wide issue. And if they refuse to, even the church's 
admonition, then they are to be disfellowshipped. And that disfellowship is not harsh. The idea is to, is to show them the seriousness of sin and to protect the purity of the body of Christ and to protect the, the, what, the, the holiness of Christ's name. And by the way, later on in that particular chapter, Jesus talks about forgiveness. How should we forgive them? If they, if they do actually repent, they do understand their sin, how, we should, how often should we forgive them? Seventy times seven, infinite. Jesus says infinite, over and over and over, we're to forgive them. And so this type of, of judging that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7 and even in Matthew 18, it's an evaluation, a righteous evaluation in love for the purpose of edification, right? Helping someone. It goes back to the intent of the heart. Judgmentalism is the total opposite. Judgmentalism is you want to tear someone else down for a different multitude of reasons. You're looking at their life and you're judging you. You're thinking about what's going on in their lives. But what it does is you put yourself on a pedestal and you make yourself better to them. And that's what James is saying. Flip back over to James for me if you're in Matthew. James chapter 4. James says, He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. So what he's talking about, how do you, how do you speak against the law? Well, what law is he talking about? Well, James has already said in chapter 2, Verse 8, he says, If you are fulfilling the royal law to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. What he's talking about is the royal law. In the New Testament, we follow the law of the royal law, the law of liberty. Right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and what you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are, this sums up the law, the Old Testament law. That's how we live our lives. We love others. We love God. And we love each other. And so James says, look, if you're not following this royal law, you're, you're speaking against it in your behavior. You're speaking against, you're judging God's law by your actions. It's like this. You drive along the road, you see one of those work zone, work zone signs, right? They're 20, 20 kilometers an hour, you're really slow. And you kind of look around, don't see anybody, boom, and you just fly through it. Keep going 60, right? Well, you don't know if there were any, any workers there. Maybe you just didn't see them, right? But you, you know the law, right? You know the rules. You ignore the rules and you decide whether you give it all this thought or not. You decide that those rules don't apply to you, right? You decide that you're above that rule. And that's what James is saying here. You know the rule, you know the law of God that says to love others is more important than yourself. But when you slander and you gossip, you're deciding that that doesn't apply to you. And you put yourself as a judge to decide what rules you're going to follow and what rules are good and what rules are bad. You see what he's saying here? He's saying you've elevated yourself. To a point where you're looking on God's word, and by deciding what you will and won't follow, you've become a judge. You're judging whether God's word is really good for you or really not good for you. Now, you may not go through that whole process of thought in your mind, but your actions demonstrate that that's what you're doing. You're elevating yourself above God's law. You judge the law. It's the attitude that you have towards others and the attitude you have towards God's Word that that demonstrate what you've become. 
you excuse yourself. Through your actions, you, you actually show contempt for God's standard. You become the supreme evaluator of what's good and what's not. You, we, you have a, a low view of God's child. You ultimately have a low view of God. When you, when you condemn others without love, right, you're showing that you don't have that love for others. You're showing you've, you've chosen to ignore what God's Word has said. The law says that we love others sacrificially, that we think about their best interests at heart, right? So James says, look, you, look at what you're doing. And he says, evaluate yourself. He says, you, you speak, if you speak against, excuse me, if you judge the law, now remember, he, he says, he who, so he makes it a general statement, he who speaks, but now he goes, if you, right, he digs in and he's pointing, in fact, that's a you in the singular sense for Jordan again, that's you so that it's you individually. He wants you to think about your own self. Now, he's not even saying y'all use my southern term for everybody. He's saying, you judge the law. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. You can see James wagging his finger at you. He's pointing at you, and he's going to evaluate yourself. If you practice lawlessness, in other words, if you pick and choose to ignore God's Word because of whatever reason, your sinful desires, and you, you slander and you judge others, then you, in effect are practicing lawlessness because your own standard is, is what you're living by. And James makes it pretty plain. He said, look, don't, don't say that you're a doer of the Word. Don't say you're a, a doer of the law. Don't say you're a faithful Christian if you can't live by the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God above your heart, soul, and mind, or sorry, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love what? Your neighbor as yourself. So don't say, I'm being obedient, I'm being mature, I'm, I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm a doer, when by your actions you deny this very fact. Look, in counseling married couples, it, it invariably goes back to, do they understand what love is? Do you really understand it? Do we understand it? And so many married couples, they, they have the idea of love as this, is this passionate, you know, feeling. But that's, that describes an aspect of love, but it doesn't define love. Biblically speaking, love is a, a commitment characterized by self-sacrifice. The passions that we have for others, they, they, they wane and they, they come and go. And the Bible, Proverbs actually talk about cultivating the passions that you have for your spouse. You, 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 you have strong feelings towards someone. So you love someone. Let's put it this way. You love someone regardless of whether you feel it or not, right? As believers, we do not have the right to withhold our affections from others based on their behavior, right? God loved us when what? We didn't love Him. We were haters of God. He loved us first. And so when we think about love, Love is understanding that, that God Himself is love. And if we love God, then that, that love we have for God will overflow towards others. And it will what? It will keep us in a humble place and keep us from judging others. Having that judgmental attitude to lifting ourselves up, to, to thinking that our standard is the, the only one that matters. 
because your love overflows naturally. And James, James finally, he comes to this last point, and he says, who do you think you are? Literally, he says those words. He says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are? Basically, if, if you ignore God's word, you ignore the law of love and live like you want to live, right? Treating others unkindly, right? Gossiping and slandering and not controlling your behavior, then first of all, you need to understand there's only one lawgiver and there's only one rightful judge. And we all know who that is, and it ain't us. Right? It's not you. You don't get to decide what laws you're going to obey, what laws you're going to disregard. You don't get to evaluate other believers in a condemnation or in a condemning way. You're to help hold them accountable in love. But from a condemnation, I don't like what they're doing. I don't think what they're doing is right. Looking at their motives, we don't get to do that. And James says, like, there is only one, and he draws that out. There's one lawgiver and one judge. In fact, he emphasizes the oneness again because he wants you to remember this. There is only one who is able to save and destroy. Now, my kids have really good imaginations and they, they love to do Legos. And, and I walked in my, my son's room the other day and my daughter, my son, had, had his bed and they had, they had developed roads and they had buildings and they had a whole city. And I said, well, what's this building over here? Oh, that's the, that's the police station with the jail. I said, oh, that's good. You need one of those. I said, uh, I said well, well, who's in the jail? And, they, and my son looked at me like, of course, bad people. I said, well, what have they done? He said, well, they lie and they steal. That's, you know, he's, he's seven, you know. Lie and they steal. And I said, well, you're, that's a good place for him, right? But you think about it, in one sense, they're evaluating people, right? They're, they're, they're playing, in, in a sense, now, don't tell me too literally, they're playing like they're God. Right? They're evaluating people and they're, 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 they're the, what, they're, they give the laws and they've broken the laws of their little community and they, they're in jail, right? So they're the lawgiver and the judge. The sad thing for us believers is that we do the same thing in each other's lives, right? We, we, have, we have our own personal preferences, things that we like and we don't like that, that maybe they're a gray area in Scripture. And if people don't live up to those personal preferences, then we say they're not as righteous or they're not as mature. Right? And, the, and these are the gray areas in the Christian life where the Bible sp- doesn't speak directly. I mean, is it wrong to go to a movie theater? Right? Most of you go, ah, that doesn't mean anything. But 50 years ago, that was a burning question among Christians. Should Christians go to the theater? Right? Where I come from, our county was a dry county. No alcohol was sold there up until the 80s. It was a dry county. It was a Christian. And in fact, a lot of Christians had strong emotions, strong preference choices that, about drinking any kind of alcohol, right? Smoking. Now, most of you would say, ah, smoking's terrible. But where I grew up, my county produced more tobacco than anywhere else in the world, just about, than Egypt. At one time where I lived, the, the county I lived in, had the largest, the world's largest tobacco market. People would fly all over the world to come to the county I lived in to examine tobacco and buy tobacco. And so you have Christians that were condemning alcohol. There'd be ashtrays outside the church for them to put out their cigarettes. You see, we, we all have different preferences. Christmas, Halloween, Easter Bunny, right? These are all things. Santa Claus, 
These are all their, their preferences. They're issues where it's not our prerogative to speak in how somebody else's family addresses the gray areas in the Christian life. Now, that we, we desire for you to be thoughtful and to use wisdom, but that they make choices for their family, right? Do you, do you homeschool? Do you do private school? Do you do public school, right? Well, those are preference issues, right? We need to use wisdom in those choices, but ultimately, we can't judge and condemn others for our, their preferences, and that's hard because we have we have convictions, personal convictions, based on our own experiences. I knew somebody who's, who's doggedly set against participating in Halloween. Now, in, a, in the States, Halloween's much bigger than it is here, I've seen. But I also know Christians that are just as uh, blasé about Halloween. Like, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, we, we witness to our neighbors. We hand out tracts with the candy, you know. So, you know, you look at those things and you say, all right, are we judging others' preferences? Well, James says, look, he says, who do you think you are? There's only one law. And by the way, when, when it says the one who's able to save and destroy, the word there, destroy, means ruin, right? We're not talking about the, the, the ceasing to exist that the Seventh-day Adventists falsely claim. We, we don't cease to exist. God doesn't destroy us utterly. The, the idea is ruined. You're forever ruined, forever separated from God's presence in the lake of fire, also called hell. I mean, that's pretty, pretty ruined. So that's what, that's what James is saying here. But it says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Like, you're, you're stealing someone's good name. You're, you're talking about someone. I read a story about a lawyer. He was talking to a juror who had been on many cases. And he asked this jury, he said, well, what is it that helped you to make your decisions? Is it the, the persuasiveness of the, of the lawyers? Is it the, the instructions of the judge? Is it the, the testimony of the witnesses? What is it that helps you make your decisions? And the, the jurors thought for a second, and, and the lawyers were expecting some great answer, and the juror said, well, I just figure that if they're here, they're probably guilty, and I just judge them that way. You see, that, unfortunately, that's how we act a lot of times towards each other, right? We don't give people the benefit of the doubt, and we, we automatically look at their motives and what they do. Brethren, God hates slander. He hates that judgmental attitude that elevates one believer above another. This is the arrogance, by the way. Arrogance and pride God opposes. Brethren, you can't know about someone's motives. You can't know about someone's heart. You know, I had a disagreement with a friend in seminary, and, and he you know, basically kind of had to go to him and say, look, you know, you, you've, you basically gossiped about me, slandered me. And I, and I confronted him and I, and I just said, look, you've made some assumptions about my motives. You've made some assumptions about what I do and why I do it without bothering to come to me. And I said, in a very simple way, we often don't, we often only get to see what people choose to show us, right? We don't get to, unless you really get to know them or really go talk to them, you don't know what's going on in their lives, in their hearts. Why are they acting the way they do, right? People, people are hard to get along with. Why are they hard to get along with? You don't know. Maybe their mother is dying of cancer, right? There, there's so many things in their life that, that if we just make assumptions, we jump to conclusions and we leap to judgments. It's mental aerobics. I like to read 
1 Corinthians 13. Because I think the answer, well, more than I think, the answer to this attitude is love. Love for others that, that cares about them enough to, to ask them why they do the things they do. And 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll, we'll end with this, because 1 Corinthians 13 shows love for what it is. It shows love is, is put into action. It's not just that passionate emotion that we think of at times. We think of love. Love is, love is a, a, an action. It's born out and it's demonstrated towards others. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, sorry, chapter 13, verse 4. Love is what? Love is patient. Now, remember, this is in context of the Corinthians who were discord. There's so much discord among each other. The first four chapters are all about dealing with divisions. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love doesn't brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Look at this. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Right? It's a, it's a context of believers. Love believes all things. We take people at their word. Love hopes all things. It looks at the best for people and, and hopes that they can mature and grow. And, and what? It endures all things. And verse 8. Love never fails. You see, that's the response that James is looking for. That's the response as believers we have to have when it comes to to dealing with each other. We have to avoid slander. Stop, James says. We have to stop judging each other. doesn't mean we can't help each other for edification and growth. Hold each other accountable in love. But we need to Stop judgmental attitudes and slander of each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for your word that, Lord, it just, confront, it just confronts us, confronts us over our hearts, over how often we've said things that we shouldn't. We've judged our brother or sister in our hearts. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Lord, help us to be humble before you, and to treat others with the same humility, to know that everyone is walking along the path to sanctification and that we're all in different states, different stages of our life. For those of us that have walked with the Lord longer, help us to be willing to to come alongside brothers and sisters that we see that, that need help in this area. Help us to remember not to not to think ill of others, to not speak ill of others but to show them the love that they deserve. Help us to not withhold our affections when we're offended, but to respond with truth and respond with love. We thank you for your word, and we just pray that you would be glorified this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.